Hello, you're listening to Linguistically Aware, a 30-minute conversation-based podcast about the ways we use, understand, and think about language. My name is Dusha Nikolic, a grad student of linguistics at the University of Calgary, and I'm sitting down with linguists, experts who study language, to talk about the number of roles language plays in our lives. This is CGSW 90.9 FM broadcasting on the traditional territories of all the people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 of Southern Alberta. Today, I talk to Corey Telfer, a researcher and a sessional instructor at the University of Calgary, whose work revolves around Stony Nakoda, an indigenous language spoken in the territory of the Calgary area. This is the first part of our conversation in which we talked about the Stony language itself, the course he and Elder are co-teaching, and the linguist's role on this course and indigenous courses in general. So stay tuned and enjoy our conversation. So my name is Corey Telfer. I'm a linguist and uh, I work for the Language Conservancy, working on a project specifically with the Stony Nakoda First Nation. And then I also work for the University of Calgary as a sessional instructor, teaching introduction to linguistics, sociolinguistics, and also co-teaching the Stony language when it's offered, which is usually every two or three years you're working on a course with an elder is that right that's correct yes myself and elder buddy lloyd wesley are co-teaching um indl indigenous languages 301 and uh, we're just finishing up that course and then we'll be teaching 303 the second level of that uh, uh stony nakota language course in um january of 2021 and I believe this will be the first time that the second level of Stony Nakoda has ever been taught. So we've had Blackfoot in the past, for sure. Um, I don't know about maybe Cree or other languages, but uh, as far as I know, uh, I don't believe Stony has been taught to that level before at the University of Calgary. So it's uh, it's it's a small step, but it still feels a little bit historic. So that's really a positive development. I think I think that's amazing. Um... I wanted to ask, what's the difference between Stony and other indigenous languages? Where does Stony belong to in this uh, family of indigenous languages? Yeah, so the Stony Nakoda language um, belongs to the Dakotan branch of the Siouan language family. So as the name Siouan suggests, um, the people who are sometimes called Sioux, but usually call themselves Lakota, Lakota, and sometimes Dakota gets included in there as well. Um, it's, uh, that's the language family that, that uh, Stony Nakoda also comes from. So this is a huge language family that covers um, a, a very large part of North America. It extends as far south as Louisiana and as far east as uh, basically nearly the east coast of the United States. So down in the Carolinas area, I believe. 
and then um, extends up through the Great Plains, um, Iowa and uh, Ohio, the Ohio Valley, and then up into the Mississippi Valley as well. So basically the length of the Mississippi River. And then um, east in the northeast over to Minnesota, so to the Great Lakes. And then we're sitting where we are in, in Alberta, Canada, is at the northwest end of the Siouan language family region. So it, um, it extends up into Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and then finally there's a couple pockets of, of the Siouan family here in Alberta. Um, one in southern Alberta, that's uh, where I'm working at Morley, west of Calgary, and then um, northwest of Edmonton at Alexis and Paul Bands. Uh, there's also the Stony language spoken up there, although they speak a different dialect, but, but it's quite closely related. They can easily understand each other. And I should mention that uh, the Stony Nakoda people here can largely understand Lakota and Dakota and Assiniboine in Saskatchewan without too much difficulty. I mean, it's not going to be instantly transparent, but they can understand each other. And from what I understood, Lakota, Stony Nakoda, and Assiniboine are not only related in this family of languages, but they are also geographically very close. Yeah, so they belong to a branch of the family called the Mississippi Valley branch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with, within that branch, they belong to an even smaller branch called the Dakotan branch. Okay. So it's named after the Dakota people, Dakota people. But um, there's a famous division between the languages where where some have D, the Dakotan people have D, mm. the Lakota people have L, and then the Nakota people have N. Um, so yeah, so there's kind of that that three-way division. But it, it ended up getting named after the Dakota people, so called Dakotan. I'm guessing that might be because they were for for Europeans coming from the east. The Dakotan, the Dakota people are the easternmost mm-hmm. in in the Great Plains and and uh, Great Lakes areas, so that w- might have been the first ones they encountered. I don't know why why they chose that name, but that's the ones it's named after. So, yeah, so it belongs to the Dakotan mm-hmm. branch of the Mississippi Valley subgroup of the Siouan language family. So, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and. And just a few other languages that people might have heard of that belong to um, this language family are um, Crow and Hadatsa, both spoken in Montana. Um, and then other after that, uh, the, you, they tend not to be as well-known languages like um, Degia or Degia, sometimes called, um, and Osage down in the southern United States. So people may have heard those of those languages. Wow. A very nice overview. Thank you for this, Corey. I wanted to ask, uh, what is the course you're teaching about? Who is it intended for? And who can take this course? Well, anyone um, can take it. There's no prerequisites for this entry-level course. So it, it attracts a very wide and diverse group of people. Often, um, some people who are just interested in, in learning a local language, a lot of students tend to be in the Indigenous Studies program, I believe it's called, at the University of Calgary, which has a language requirement. So this fulfills a requirement for them. So they usually have to take some of these languages. 
Um, and then also linguists. There's, you know, always a handful of linguists who are interested in learning about any language um, from any part of the world, usually. And um, edu people in education, often we get uh, some people, teachers who, uh, in some cases, we have, we have some students right now, or at least one student who actually works with uh, some of that, that students, students are from the Stony Nakoda First Nation mm -hmm. and probably come from, from homes where the language is spoken fluently. So, um, or at least have probably elder, fluent elder grandparents. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so we get all different kinds of people. Um, and, and, and then another group of people that uh, attend this class are often indigenous people who are not from the Stony Nakoda First Nation, but wish to learn the language of their um, of their neighbors. So, and it's a you know it's often a tradition in First Nations cultures when you move to another uh, First Nations area, you learn at least some of their language. Um, we've had a few students say that over the years. Uh, well, over the times I've taught it, this is the second time I've taught it. So. Um, and, and both times we've had students uh, from that background. In, in one case, uh, someone who was a, a fluent Cree speaker, but who wanted to learn a bit of uh, uh, Stony Nakoda. So um, yeah, we get all different kinds of people. So it's very diverse. And then I guess the second part of your question is what are we actually teaching? Um, so it, in the intro level, it's, it's very basic, I would say, although this in this particular semester, we've actually gone maybe a little bit more advanced than, than we had in the past, but, um, but very basic. So of course we start off with the sounds of the language. And for myself as a linguist, that's my specialization. That's the area I know the most about. I believe that's true for you as well, right? It's uh, phonetics and phonology or phonatology yeah. as I sometimes call it because they're kind of all blended together. But yeah, phonetics and phonology is what I study. And so um, that's, that's an area I really love. So I really try and teach people the sounds and, in the case of Stony Nakoda, we have um, sounds that are called pharyngeals that are quite difficult because we don't really use uh, those sounds at all in English. And we don't even really use the muscles in our tongue to create them, to produce them. So people really have to struggle to learn to say them. And, and, uh, and not everyone is successful, I have to admit, at least in a, in a four-month course like this. But just to so listeners can hear what they sound like, they sound like, uh, huh. Oh, so they sound kind of like, um, you know, the closest thing I can think of is maybe what pirates sound like sometimes in English. Ah, oh. <laughs> you know, we, we yeah. make them say arg. Um, or growling sometimes can sound a little bit like, ah, oh. that's using some of the same muscles. So yeah. um, the way they're produced is we move our tongue to the back of our throat, it basically as low and as far back as it can go. And then you get that oh, sound or oh sound so so there's two yeah. different ones and you have to learn them both yeah using the area that we call pharynx right yeah the pharynx which uh the pharynx it refers to the open area at the back of the throat um it's it, rather than referring to a body part it refers to a part that's not there <laughs> it's the uh and i believe yeah. pharynx is the greek word for uh like a chasm or like a cliff. So it's that, that cliff at the back of your tongue where, where the air goes down and the food goes down. That's where you have to kind of push your tongue, try and squeeze that cliff and make it as small as possible. So just, uh, yeah, to, 
hear how those sounds sound between two vowels. I could say, aha and ara. And native speakers of Stony can produce them without any difficulty, right? No, and they're very, very common in the language. They're found mm-hmm. in a, a large number of words. Um, so they're, they're very frequent. They're impossible to avoid. So you really have to learn them. And they even come together with uh, other consonants. So you can have mm-hmm. words like that. Um, so yeah, you really have to learn them. Um, and yeah, quite tricky. I should mention those pharyngeal sounds are very similar to the pharyngeal sounds we have in, uh, that uh, you hear in Arabic, for example. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and also in the West Coast of Canada, many First Nations languages also have these sounds.
This is CGSW 90.9 FM radio station. You're listening to Linguistically Aware, a spoken word program about the ways we use and understand language. I'm Dushan, and I'm speaking with Corey Telfer, an expert on indigenous language teaching and documentation. We're talking about Stone Nakoda, an indigenous language spoken in the Calgary area. So stay tuned for the final 10 minutes of the podcast. I believe that the name for the Stony. The name is Yohan Nakoda, if I'm producing it correctly, but you can, you can really. Uh... Well, you, you do sound excellent. Uh, a couple things, <laughs> Buddy, Buddy always says with that word, now there is variation, I think, in the community, but Buddy always puts the stress on the first syllable, so it's Iahe, but uh, yeah, Iahe. Wow. So on that E, on that nasal E at the beginning. Uh, now, there's another thing that, that uh, Buddy has told me about that word and other elders as well is that that is not the traditional name that um uh stony nakota people call themselves so uh, that one is a came a little bit later on and it's basically sort of a translation almost in a way of the of the english name stony into stony um uh into stony nakota language but what they call themselves in their own language is ieska yes or eskabi you could say for the people so Ieska, um, and um, that Iahe Nakoda means, Iahe means mountain, I guess. So mountain Nakoda, that means something, something like that. Maybe, but that's not traditionally what they call themselves. Yeah, maybe it's specific for the, uh, that part uh, where the language is spoken, I guess. Uh, ro- Rocky Mountains. Um, yeah, it's kind of more of a description, but yeah. um, it's not what they, as I understand, it's not what, uh, what, the old, uh, you know, the the elder generation actually refer to themselves as. Yeah, and it's very important to to mention what they are referring to themselves because that's that's what matters, I guess. What's mm. your role in, on this course? Um, because there is an elder with you. Um, how do you divide the workload? Uh, what do you do to teach? What's your uh, role as a linguist? Um, well, a lot of what I do is try to make the patterns clear to the students and also sometimes to myself because we're still learning a lot about this language. There's very little um, documentation in, in Western academic literature. There's a few things written, but uh, going back to the 50s, but uh, oh, actually, there's one that goes back to the 1800s, but it's not very reliable. But, you know, after that, oh, no, there's one also from the early 1910s. So, you know, mm-hmm. again, not as reliable, but, the, the re- you know, the really reliable stuff starts in the 70s. So, um, so yeah, there is a little bit, but, uh, but mostly it's, you know, not well documented. There is uh, no large dictionary yet. And um, so a lot of what I'm doing is just working with the elder to learn the patterns, make sure we've got a good idea of, of how the patterns work. Now we know that these patterns, uh, there's almost always exceptions to them. That's just the way language works. Every rule is broken somewhere along the line. And uh, we don't know why languages work this way exactly, but we have some theories, I guess, but this is just something that happens. So, but as much as possible, we try and get at least the basics of the patterns so that um, students can start forming their own uh, words and sentences. So that's a lot of what I do. Um, I also help to type up resources for students. Obviously, that's that's a big part is getting a, 
especially in a university level course and especially in the current climate where we can't teach face to face we can still do it over video but it's just not quite the same as as face to face so um and also because we only meet once a week so it's it's uh useful to have those written um documents to help so students can remind themselves about how to say the words or how the sentences go together how the words go together in between the, the classes and that is uh, something about these the way these first nations classes have been taught traditionally at the university of calgary uh, for all the languages as i understand is is once yeah. a week in three a long three-hour lecture which is it's certainly better than nothing but ideally for languages we get when you're trying to learn a language you want a lot of exposure on a regular basis rather than uh or, or smaller amounts of exposure i should say on a on a regular basis rather than than once just once a week but um so we you know we use written writing to help uh supplement the actual lectures or the actual exposure to the language i hope one day that we'll see uh slightly more frequent lectures but for for now that's the way it's it's taught so so writing things down mm -hmm. um although not you know, part of the traditional way of learning a first nation, most First Nations languages, it's still, uh, we find a useful way to, to help students learn. Are these materials available somewhere? Are you going to produce something from these materials? What, what, what's, what are your thoughts about it? How are you going to proceed with this? Are you going to use these materials for some uh, textbooks maybe? Yeah, maybe one day. I, I hope that we can work up to that point. For now, um, because we we're not certain enough about uh, the information in in the uh, materials, I would feel uncomfortable sharing it. And also, more importantly, um, many First Nations communities are very protective of their languages and culture, and they don't want it being shared without their permission, obviously without their knowledge, and without agreement from the whole community so um at this point you know we don't we don't have that and and we, we're not even aiming in that direction just at this exact moment so um so for now these resources are only available to people who who take the class um yeah you know so un unfortunately uh, there's I can't, I can't really share them beyond that. Um, and, and they're not really ready for that at this point, but in the future, I, I hope that um, the resources do become available. There are some publicly re available resources. Most importantly, the Stony Education Authority or the most easiest one to get a hold of is the Stony Education Authority has an app that you can download for free. Yeah. Now, my, my work with the Language Conservancy um, is working towards resources of all kinds, um, some of which will be publicly available as I understand as well. Um, so another app and um, also a textbook for um, elementary school children. So again, aimed at a different um, age group, but, uh, but still useful, I think, for learners of all ages. And um, that textbook will have an, uh, an app that goes with it specifically and um, also a dictionary so yeah with recordings so uh that i believe will be 
um, publicly available. So at some point, probably uh, originally we had planned to get it done this year, but uh, yeah. with the pandemic, we haven't been able to meet with elders uh, very frequently. And so uh, it will be, and, and there's been other, you know, you know, always uh, little, little things that have come up that, that have delayed it a little bit. So uh, it is in, in, uh, in a kind of the final stage at this point, but still needs a considerable amount of work done to it. So probably next year, sometime mm-hmm. um, in the first quarter of next year, I would, I would imagine there will be something available along those lines. So um, that's not directly from my, from my own work as an instructor, that's coming more from uh, this much more broad-based community work um, with the language conservancy, which mm-hmm. you've worked on as well. So <laughs> you yeah. know, one of the contributing linguists and, and if, help this out it's a huge project with um many tens of elders involved and uh and uh several linguists and and other organizers so it's uh and teachers and and the school out at uh, the schools i should say out at the uh stony nakota first nation so um it's really exciting and it's it's uh a lot of these resources are are being finished up right now so hopefully Within the next few months, there will be announcements uh, coming from the Language Conservancy and from the Stony Education Authority, and and people can keep their eye out Mm -hmm. for that and look for those resources. This was the first part of the fifth episode of Linguistically Aware. The second part of our conversation is on a very important topic for the Indigenous community, language documentation and revitalization. This was Corey Telfer, an expert on Indigenous language teaching and I immensely enjoyed our conversation. Stay tuned, do not change the frequency, and hope to see you very, very soon.